welcome everybody to the next edition of the Local Control Podcast. My name is Peter Ravella. I'm the host of this show, and uh, the Local Control Podcast is dedicated to gathering the perspective of local government officials, whether city, county, or special districts along the American shoreline. And uh, we're trying to illuminate the uh, specific and interesting challenges that local elected officials on the American shoreline face. And I'm really happy today to have the mayor of South Padre Island, Texas, the great beach town, I would say, the best beach town in Texas, uh, Dennis Stahl. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for the kind words about the city, and I agree with you. <laughs> well, you know, I've traveled up and down the coast. I know you have, too. There's no doubt you have the best beach, and you've got the best sand dunes. And uh, it's a great town, and uh, I always love going down to South Padre. And, uh, Dennis, I know, how long, have you, how long have you been in South Padre Island? Well, we've owned property here since 2005. Uh, I sold the majority of my largest business in San Antonio uh, uh, in 2012. And in 2013, we became permanent residents here on South Padre Island. Hmm. So, like a lot of folks who end up moving into a beach town, uh, it generally starts as a place to vacation, uh, maybe a property that you have that you go to a few times a year and then make the permanent move. Is that, is that, uh, the, the line that you followed from yeah, more or less, Peter, I discovered South Padre Island late in life. I, we grew up in San Antonio and for us, Padre or come going to the beach was also, um, going to Port Aransas, which is about 150 miles up the uh, uh, up the beach from us, the Rockport, Port Aransas, Corpus Christi area. We're much further south. We're close to the Mexican border, close to Brownsville and Harlingen. Uh, but I didn't first come here until I was 34 years old. Hmm. Uh, first time we came here, fell in love with it, um, stayed here for, you know, in different condos. Uh, in different places on the island for a number of years and then got the bug and ended up buying our first home here. And we still have that one, uh, that home. Uh, it's on the beach. Uh, I actually live on the bay side now, on the Laguna Madre side. But um, we've been here permanently, I guess, if you will, since 2013. Okay. And now you're the mayor. Uh, what has been your history as an elected official down there? When did you first get in office? And, you know, I'm really curious, what inspired you to run for public office after uh, years in the private sector? And um, it, it, It's kind of interesting. Um, we were, were uh, in the process. Uh, my background was in the pet supply business. I'm still on the board of a couple of companies. Uh, been in it for since I was 14 years old, uh, over 50 years. Uh, ran the distribution business uh, into a big regional company, and it became part of a much bigger company. And at that point, uh, I stepped away from day-to-day -day operations and uh, stayed on the board and was able to uh, help the company acquire other companies in do things, but not on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And my wife was the driver. She said whenever we decided that we were going to sell the majority of the business, that she wanted to live permanently and retire on South Padre Island. Very nice. So we came down and bought um, an, another home, and um, then we just, we you know, we're here, and the the kind of joke was is that I had been very involved in some nonprofits, our, our church, uh, our business, and you know how was Dennis going to stay busy? And my wife um, talked to a couple of people and said, "Look, I don't want him telling me how to load the dishes at lunch every day and find something for him to you do." You mean this was all about getting you out of the house? Yeah, kind of. So. Public service comes a lot of ways. Kind of, I went to a meeting that was kind of set up. I didn't realize I was being set up, and my wife was complicitous in this. And our, my predecessor as mayor, Barry Patel, was a 
uh, councilman at the time and decided to run for mayor. And when the question came up, who would replace Barry on the council, Barry turned to me and he says, I think Dennis is, you know, has <laughs> okay. a great business background. He'd be a good addition. And the next thing I knew, I was on the city council. Uh, and I, then I served under Barry as, as he, uh, in his three-year term, and it was mayor pro tem. And then uh, when Barry stepped down as mayor, he uh, recommended that uh, I become mayor of the city. So, and then the will of I'm the voters, here. the will of the voters comes into play and they, you, they, yeah. you, were you appointed to the job first and then ran for it or did you run for it? Actually, I've never been elected. Really? I've run unop- unopposed three times. Well, that's, that's elected. <laughs> that yeah, counts. It is. That counts, Dennis. Um, that's, um, that's the American way. And that's, uh, you know, I do think this relationship between running a beach town and a company is, uh, is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, there, because these these towns, unlike a lot of other municipalities around the country and inland community, uh, this is I wouldn't want to say it's a one industry town, but it is a tourism industry community, as are most most barrier island towns. How would you compare being a mayor running a beach town versus running a pet food enterprise? Um, I you know, and so and I, I did something in other nonprofits, but. It's all about people. Uh, you know, you report um, to the citizens, uh, but, you know, you have to surround yourself with uh, good people. And we have good, uh, really, really good uh, city staff here. Uh, we are a council manager form of governor, so government. So what that means is the city manager reports to the city council. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit different than being on the board of directors of a uh some other companies where you have the, the CEO report to you, but not appreciably different. Hmm. And I've, I've run businesses with, you know, more zeros and less zeros, if you will, at, yeah. at the end of the numbers. Yeah. So it's, it's all about people. Well, it, t- tell us about the pe- Well, tell us about this town. Tell us about South Padre Island. Introduce our listeners because uh, we're going to talk about the challenges of running a beach town. But I always like to uh, give our listeners around the country an introduction to to where we are tell us about south padre island so south padre island is um almost in mexico uh, we're at the very tip of texas we are a barrier island connected to the mainland if you will by approximately a three mile causeway yeah. you come across and it's about a half a mile wide uh probably at its at its widest, and it stretches for, oh, 23 miles up to uh, a cut um, um, up at Port Mansfield. Yeah, the Mansfield but cut. Much of that is much of that is does not have any real estate on it. And the city itself is not very large. It's basically, um, oh, three and a half miles long and a half mile wide. So it's not very big, but it's um, been known over the years for spring break to a lot of college students. Oh yeah, that's still a that's still a, a, a big event here uh, in March of every year. Uh, but it's also a family vacation destination. There's a little over five thousand hotel rooms and condominiums here that are for rent. Um, uh, by, you know, our visitors who come here. Yeah. And we are uh, basically a one industry town, and that's tourism. We have to get people across the bridge and get them here, you know, to the island. In your introduction, you mentioned it being, you know, probably the best Texas beach, and uh, that's what drew my wife and I here was it's just beautiful. I mean, it's nice. It's uh, a barrier island, and uh, it's a nice escape from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas, all the way up, if you will, uh, through the Midwest. Uh, it's very seasonal. Uh, you know, we're talking in uh, just almost December of this year, and during late December, January, and February, we have many what we call winter Texans come yeah. from all over the Midwest and Canada to, to visit us. Uh, and they come down here uh, for the proximity to Mexico, 
but also to just enjoy uh, much warmer weather, golf, and you know yeah. other activities that uh, winter Texans like to do. Lively Bayside uh, and Beachside uh, nightlife here. A lot of great restaurants. Just a nice place to visit. This program on the American Shoreline Podcast Network is brought to you by TI Coastal Services out of Wilmington, North Carolina. TICoastalservices.com. It really is. And I think uh, for the folks who've never been to South Padre Island, and this is, the, of course, the city of South Padre Island, uh, yeah, that three and a half miles is it, – it, it's a small area, but it's a very uh, – well-rounded town i think you're right there's the, the the laguna madre is a special water body on the back side of the island some of the best fishing in the world there it's a very unique hypersaline uh bay in the world one of f- a few of them um and then you have the offshore fishing out through uh the Brazo santiago pass so you get you can get offshore you can get into the bay for redfish and trout so you've got that whole community and the other thing that uh draws a lot of these winter texans is the incredible birding in the rio Grande valley and uh uh boy that's a big draw and a big part of the tourism economy this time of year isn't it a lot of the birders coming down there yes it is and we're always on the lookout for different birds that come you know come to town but we have a really nice birding center with uh several hundred yards of walkways where people can go out over mangroves in the bay and spy all kinds of birds uh, that are there. A lot of photographers with very big lenses on their cameras, uh, birders that are very dedicated, love that. And then directly next door to the birding center, we have Sea Turtle Inc., our our, uh, world-renowned turtle rescue uh, that has just expanded, just did a really big expansion. They did. Is it and, finished yet? Yes, it's it's finished. And they even have an amphitheater in there wow. uh, to uh, talk to guests. But you get a chance to uh, rescue wounded turtles and then also sea turtles from around the world come and lay their eggs on our beaches. Yep. Uh, and they go back into the water. What we do is then take the eggs and place them in a safe area so predators such as coyotes and other animals yeah, uh, don't invade the nest. Yeah. Uh, and then we let those babies hatch out. And when they hatch out, um, very early in the morning, and we draw hundreds of people uh, to see this, we let those turtles go. Uh, and they swim right out into the Gulf of Mexico it's a big event. and around the world. And yeah. then when there comes time for them to come nest again, they come right back to where they started. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's one of the great things about the island is the birding center. It is absolutely first class. The sea turtle rescue center. I have seen um, the plans. I have not seen the building. It's going to be spectacular. And then down at the far uh, south end of the island, there is... Isla Blanca Park, which is the big county park, and just across the water from the park, across the Brazos-Santiago Pass, the major ship channel into the port of Brownsville, is where SpaceX is setting up shop. And uh, give us an update on SpaceX. I've I've heard that they're, you know, we know they own the property. They've they've I think they've <laughs> you know what's going on with SpaceX over there, and are we going to have rockets coming off the beach in South Padre Island? Well, not off South Padre Island Beach, but, you know, it, to put it in perspective, uh, I live nine and one half miles. I live at the upper end of the um, northern uh, part of the city limits, but Isla Blanca Park is like three miles from the launch site. Yeah. They've just finished a beautiful new outdoor amphitheater there. Yeah. They're making tremendous upgrades to the park the RV area and so you have a they are it's right at the tip of a peninsula if you will I mean it's cut off by the Brazos Santiago Pass so they have a bay side but they also have a beautiful beach side there they do where many many people come and you know uh, 
take day trips to the beach or just visit that beach there. But SpaceX is coming along well. Uh, they've stabilized a bunch of soil. Now they're working on the actual launch site. Are they? Uh, and we're hearing that some of that could happen uh, in late 2019. Who knows? 2019, 2020. But wow. if you want a ringside view of it, right. you know, when you go to like Cape Canaveral, you're 10 miles from the launch site, and you know you can see it. And it's spectacular. Right. We will all have a ringside seat here for any launch from SpaceX, and we'll probably literally feel some of the rumble. No doubt about it. And that I, it's got to be if it does happen. And what I, what I've read is uh, SpaceX has brought down the engines. They're going to start testing on that site. I think for the the BFR. I think <laughs> the biggest rocket they're building. I think they're starting to test engines there. So it it sounds like it's serious, and it will certainly have an impact on the town's economy and on the Rio Grande Valley, for sure, in a positive way. It brings a lot of horsepower, a lot of economic energy, a lot of expertise into the valley. Uh, It's a pretty exciting place to be in Texas, is to be down on South Padre Island these days. Well, the, the local community is very excited about it. You know, they've... Uh, they've been delayed a couple of times, but anything with as complex a project uh, as that is, and when Elon Musk was there for the groundbreaking ceremony, he referred to what became known as the, the Big Falcon rocket or the BF, <laughs> B, BFR, and that would be the launch site for a mission to Mars. And yeah. uh, it was a pleasure to meet him that day. I you know, was there at the the uh, groundbreaking, but anytime you're thinking what I would call that far out of the box, um, oh, yeah. you know, there's going to be delays and, and, you know, they, uh, they've had different things, but they're launching a lot of rockets today. Well, they really are. They're the preeminent launch company, including NASA, I think putting up more rockets these days than anybody else. Uh, and, you know, who knows, if they actually launch the rocket to Mars from there, wouldn't that be historic? And instead of saying, uh, Houston, this is tranquility based, the first word from the moon was the city of Houston. It's going to be South Padre Island. This is Mars. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be listened to by people all over the world. Let me tell you, you won't have to uh, do a lot of advertising. Everybody on the planet will know where South Padre is. Um, yes. And and what I've heard, read is uh, Elon Musk, I don't know what to believe in when you read this in the press, but he's going to move there, right? He's going to he's flying to Mars and he's going to stay. That's what I've heard. And Dennis, if that were to happen, <laughs> South yeah, Padre I, Island would be known for being more than a beach town. <laughs> yes, it would be. I I'm not going to join him on that flight, but I wish him well on that on that flight. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Who knows? I mean, who it's knows? it's exciting yeah. and uh, uh the other thing I want to say about South Padre for folks who's never been down there and I would absolutely encourage people to go because it's the it's when you drive north of the town on Park Road 100 that kind of bisects the town parallel to the barrier island goes right down the middle of the island and it extends Six miles out of town, uh, but as soon as you get outside the city limits, there really isn't anything built on this barrier island. And this is one of the special things about the South Padre Island. Uh, we've all heard of the Padre Island National Seashore, which is on the same barrier island complex uh, north of the Manfield Cut. But south of the Mansfield Cut, when you drive out of the city of South Padre, and you're going up Park Road 100, and there's just this untouched dune system. It's really spectacular. Uh, and because we live in Texas, you can take a right turn and drive on to the beach and bring a full-wheel drive and then take a left turn at the Gulf of Mexico and drive the, what is it, 18 miles or so yeah. up to the Mansfield Cut. It is one of the most spectacular things you can do. And if you're at all physically able to get out of your car and take a walk back into that incredible dune field and all the way back to the Laguna is one of the most beautiful uh, places that I've ever been. It really is special and uh, not highly visited. Uh, You know, I know there's some, there's some real development opportunities up there, uh, Dennis, and I'll just say personally, I sure would like to see a lot of that property uh, be preserved. It's a really, really special place. 
and, and there's work being done on preserving much of that. And, um, you know, and I don't mean this the wrong way, but the island is populated by a lot of what I would call um, sometimes tree huggers, dune lovers, nature lovers, people who are in, you know, Dennis, eco-tourism. What way do you a mean big, that? big part of, <laughs> uh, big, big part of our uh, economy here. It and is. So you have a lot of, you know, as, as the mayor of the town, you have, uh, you know, some conflicting interest. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, we don't want to get any bigger. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that our dunes are healthy. All of our mangroves are healthy. Our fishing is, you know, spectacular as it is. We're working on the offshore reef, reef out here. Oh, yeah. Red snapper fishing. That's like 13 miles from the Brazos San Diego Pass. They're yep. catching all kinds of red snapper out there all year round. And there's a lot of people that love that, love the lifestyle here and don't necessarily want, you know, um, I mean, condo after high rise, after high rise, after high rise yep. on the north end of the island. It'll be a, it won't be in my lifetime, it, you know, as development happens. But uh, eventually, as the the city continues to grow and gain popularity, I'm sure that there will be projects that are presented for north of our present city limits. No doubt about it. Uh, and up to the end of the road, it it it's. It, it's expected. I think that the and this gets into the third topic I wanted to talk about, about the challenges of managing a beach town. And I mean, already you've hit the key, one of the key issues that have to be resolved at the local level. I think the reason I like doing the local control podcast is so much of what happens on the American shorelines is in the hands of local elected officials. It's you guys that'll decide what building permits are issued, what requirements are going to be on the construction. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and it's the way it needs to be. The government is best when it's governed closest to the people. And uh, it's a very special role because there just aren't, there aren't a lot of places like the town that you manage that have the dynamics of this kind of a shoreline. Um, but the, the interest of those who wish to preserve sort of the small town character and maybe the environmental attributes of the island and those who have economic interest in seeing the island develop responsibly but economically powerful, that's a, an important interest. And in the city government, you guys are you're in the center of all of it. And uh, so when you're thinking about when you took the job, I, I, come, I was curious about this. When you took the job to, to be the mayor of this barrier island town, did you have a sense of what you were getting into or has it been surprising to you at all what you've been asked to, you know, sort out? Yes, <laughs> I guess in one word. Um, yeah. So I'm, a, you know, I've been here permanently just for a short period of time. Yeah. And ended up in the mayor's seat, and I guess I'm there probably just because of the business background. And in business, when you're faced with challenges, you know, in 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 all your in all the businesses that I've been involved in, there's always something that comes up this quarter that you didn't think about last quarter hmm. or last year or last week. Okay. So you have um you you have that, that challenge going on, and what I try to tell people or one of my words that I used or taglines was it's everybody's island. And, you know, I try to respect all of the citizen viewpoints. Right. Now, obviously you eventually have to make decisions that you're going to disappoint someone because you've allowed some kind of development to happen. Uh, and then sometimes you have a developer who's unhappy because uh, and one of the things that we're working uh, real diff I mean, real um, a a as a priority is what we call our mayor's developers roundtable. Hmm. We're, we're trying to work with developers on codes. Uh, you know, eventually there's going to be a storm that blows in here. We don't want everything to be completely wiped out, and we right. want to make sure that uh, building codes continue to improve. Uh, and get better so that uh, when a storm, you know, does co come by or hit the island, that uh, 
a, a lot of it is still sustainable after that storm blows in. Absolutely. That is the challenge. And I think one of the unique things about being in the position of a local elected official on the American shoreline is this dynamic shoreline space. Uh, uh, it's it's a it, it particular challenge. I think the city itself has done an outstanding job on that issue over the years. Uh, we had a good interview with Eddie Fisher, who was the former head of the KEPRA program, the Coastal Erosion Planning Response Act program at the land office uh, from 2000 to 2010. And Eddie was one of the people who was played a role in the beneficial use of dredge material from the Brazos-Santiago Pass. And for listeners around the country, uh, this is a federally maintained deep water port channel that is getting increasingly busier with uh, new LNG plants proposed for the Port of Brownville. I don't know if there's still four of them, but there's a bunch. But that the maintenance of that channel produces a couple hundred thousand cubic yards of sand on each dread cycle. And through good planning between the Corps of Engineers, the city's planning and your staff and the general land office, that sand gets put on the beach in South Padre. And you guys have a big, wide, healthy beach with a great dune field. And that was not true 15 years ago when I first started, you know, or back in the 90s when I was down in South Padre. There were no dunes in front of the hotels at that time. Um, and now you've got a 300-foot-wide dune system. It's really fabulously done. Yeah, and that is, um, you know, when you look at time-lapsed photography, um, it's amazing what the uh, what that dune field has done to stabilize and protect our, our island and citizens further inland in the county that we're in, Cameron County. Uh, it's amazing. Continues to work on it. We just completed uh, another beach renourishment where we uh, did not actually pipe onto the beach mm-hmm. the sand, but we actually dropped it into uh, between most of it between the second and third sandbar yeah. and let it wash up onto the beach in a more natural way. Yeah, near and shore placement, it, right? Yeah. And um, so we're, we've actually dropped particles in there, tracing particles to trap to actually track over uh, a a period of time where that sand actually ends up. And uh, you could tell almost immediately in certain areas where the, where the sand was dropped, where the beach began to, you know, uh, grow. Really? And yeah, we, we really hope that the final results on that are very, very attractive. Uh, obviously, running a, a pipe on our beach, you know, isn't the most pleasant for that two no. or three week period when we do that. No. But if we could do more of this offshore or nearshore um, uh, beach re- replenishment, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's less expensive to less disruptive to the community. Uh, the I- sand tracer study. Uh, I don't know if. Uh, if Brandon is around, but I'm very interested in the sand tracer study. Um, I know that th- this is partially funded by the general land office, I think, but there's a fluorescent dye, I think. Is it fluorescent that's being added to the sand that you guys uh, yeah. in- integrated into this nearshore placement? And the, the idea, of course, is to try to figure out where does that sand migrate and how long does it take to get to the beach and how much of it does get to the beach? And, it's great right. data to get. Is, are, are there any results at this stage of the game? Uh, they're preliminary. I, you were referring to Brandon Hill, who yeah. our shoreline uh, director. Um, he, um, um, they've got some preliminary data right now, okay. and uh, I, I did not. I was not able to get that from Brandon prior to talking to you, but he said it's encouraging. Hmm. So um, you know, and we'll we'll see exactly. You know how long it does, but I. This is only. I don't think it's been done in the United States, to my knowledge. I know these tracer type studies have been done. I think in Europe before. So it uh, on you know on Brandon's part, the staff's part, the general land office, and all the partners that we have in that project. I applaud them uh, for for taking the step to actually measure what the results are of right. this. You know, near shore. Uh, 
beach replenishment. For sure. And I think, you know, it's part of the city's uh, strategy to have a shoreline management division in the city um, to dedicate local revenues to your shoreline management program. And Mira, I'll, I'll ask you this. I mean, as I think about going north of there and development up toward the end of Park Road to 100, that area outside of the city limits that's currently in the county, uh, the water lines are there, the utilities, the electric utilities are in place. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful property. As that gets developed, I mean, one of the concerns, and, uh, you know, I think most of my listeners know we worked on the Cameron County Erosion Response Plan, so I'm pretty familiar with that shoreline. But you've got a 10-foot erosion rate up there, 10 feet per year on average, according to our friends at the University of Texas Bureau of Economic Geology. And uh, the sand source from the Brazos-Santiago Pass is committed to the maintenance of the city's beach and needs to be, I think, in the future. The real trick is going to be uh, managing the position of the South Padre Island shoreline in the future without the very inexpensive, if we can say, sand source that is derived from the uh, Corps of Engineers' maintenance of the adjoining federal pass. And that's, Mayor, what is what do you think about that? And it comes up for the city because as you expand your jurisdiction and into the ETJ, if you are to annex these areas as they developed, how do you, what do you foresee? And is the town thinking about the management of that that extra shoreline and the cost of doing that. What what's going on inside the city's thinking and planning on that topic? Well, in as in business, probably the first thing that comes to mind is, boy, this is going to be expensive, and how are we going to fund or pay for it? Right. Uh, I'm. Uh, we have a great relationship with Cameron County. Cameron County is a uh, actually a very poor county in South Texas. And South Padre Island, when you come across here, is the crown jewel. So we are less than, we're actually seven-tenths of 1% of the county population Mm -hmm. and two-tenths of 1% of the county's land area. So, but we contribute six times as much to the economy of the county per person than the rest of the county. So uh, almost 20 times as much to the economy of the county per square mile than everywhere else. And right. just as an example, 3%, just over 3% of the total employment of Brownsville, which is about 20 miles from here, mm-hmm. actually works on the South Padre Island. Really? And we, we, we actually wow. contribute 3% to the total, the county's total employment. Hmm. So, Many, many, many of the jobs are are from the surrounding counties, and for you know our economic activity accounts for almost five percent, four point eight percent of the Cameron County's regional product. So hmm. when I, I say that, by um, way of when people come across the causeway onto this beautiful area. And they turn right and they go into Isla Blanca Park. That's a county park. Yeah. That's not really city park. If you go through the city and you go further up, you go into a county beach. And But when people visit, they don't know if they're in the county they don't or care. the city. No, absolutely uh, not. They, you know, they don't know. I mean, and, and as we gradually annex, as we have, to the north into that area, uh, we do not drive on our beaches but we have to provide adequate public parking. Yeah. Uh, for every 15 feet of beach we have, we have a you know a parking spot. Um, but so we do things a little bit different. But I when I tell people, this is you know you're coming to the island, and I prefer not to um, say, well, you know, this is out of bounds or inbounds or spend your money here. Or there are people who are just going to spend their money where they want to spend their money. Yeah. And things will develop. So to a degree, uh, uh, we know that the continued nourishment of the beach is going to be expensive. Part of that is by the county and or us. And sometimes we're like a 
we're like any family. We may disagree on, you know, the means to the end, but the county is investing in, in on the island. They are. Uh, we welcome that investment. They realize it's a crown jewel and, a, you know, a tremendous amount of a tax base um, for Cameron County. So yeah. the county judge and I work very closely together. His name is Eddie Trevino, Jr. Yeah. Uh, we work very closely together on, on projects to make sure that we, you know, we grow the whole area. You bet. And that's a, you know, that is absolutely, I would say, the, the top of the pyramid in terms of priority is that city-county relationship. And for those folks who aren't from Texas, when we say the county judge, we're talking about the county chief executive uh, who's elected by the citizens uh, and is not a judicial judge uh, in 95% of the counties in Texas. They used to be back in the day, but the title is referring to the county chief executive, Eddie Trevino, Jr. Uh, but I can tell you, Dennis, in, in working over in North Carolina, uh, the relationships between the county and Barrier Island municipalities is the power of effective shoreline management in North Carolina in Dare County and in especially Carteret County, where the county in those communities uh, manages all of the shoreline programs uh, for the municipalities. Uh, they staff it, they centralize it, so all of the beach surveying for all of the, and these are counties with multiple small communities, South Padre-like towns, or maybe even smaller. And, and, and I absolutely foresee that if development is extended north on South Padre Island, this county municipal relationship coupled with our buddies over at the general land office up here in Austin, Texas, the state funders is, is got to be the backbone of it. And, uh, I'm how, how have you guys approached the relationship with the county when it comes to management of the shoreline? What, what's the status? Where do you, where do you see things? What's your, where do you see, see things going from here? With uh, with that, um, I think it's important that we're cooperative and we work together. Um, you know, they allow vehicle vehicles on the the beach in the county, and in the city, we just prefer to park and let people walk to the beach mm-hmm. and not drive to the beach, and that helps us. That has helped us immensely in growing this dense dune field that we have. No doubt. Um, uh, that and that's you know their decision to make. We've done so much in dune development and replenishment work. Um, it sometimes uh, even recently we advise them on ways that you know they you know better, or we give them our ideas on how uh, to manage you know certain areas or certain issues that they they may have. Mm-hmm. I think it has to just continue to be cooperative. Yeah. And like I said, it's like a family, you know, if yeah. there's five people at the table and there's uh, six pork chops on the middle plate, you know, it's, um, who, yeah. who's going to get that last pork chop. That's Sometimes right. we may fight over that last pork chop. Yeah. Well, I think it's encouraging to see that relationship developing and, uh, the, the model that I've seen, the strongest financial foundation for, shoreline management that I've seen really is really this county local barrier island municipality model in North Carolina because the county's become a a solid financial partner um, in my experience in putting together long-term funding strategies for barrier island communities we just finished Manasota Key and Don Pedro Knight Island over in Charlotte County Florida uh, long-term shoreline management program, offshore sand sources, something that's similar to what Cameron County will face eventually as that north end of the island starts to develop. Uh, And by the way, a community with a a two-foot-per-year erosion rate and a, uh, a, I think the total budget for the program was about $40 million. And when you look at, when you think of those, numbers, you're going to have a higher erosion rate, sand sources that are probably further offshore, uh, asking the municipality to carry the financial burden uh, in a town of what, a, with a permanent population of 2,500 people. Uh, you know, it's just not doable. 3, okay, three, th- are we yeah. three? Okay. 
it, it's almost. it's it's a lot to ask of a of a town, and it, it takes this financial horsepower, I think, to to tackle problems at, of that magnitude that are recurrent. You know, it's not a one shot deal. You're signing up no. for the whole yeah, thing. It, it's not, and you know we. Where our, the 86th Texas legislature meets every two years is about to go into session yeah. in January, and we have to work uh, closely with our our legislators and the Texas General Land Office uh, on this. And then, you know, further up our coast, where the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is working on some ways to protect uh, the Galveston area. And I was just there for a week at um, the ASBPA um, meeting mm -hmm. and really enjoyed that. But there's a lot of discussion about that. And even as we speak today, uh, I'm preparing for a meeting uh, in a couple of hours here where we're going to meet with the Army Corps of Engineers Great. about their long-term plans right. for protection of our, our island. Yeah. Um, and... So far, a lot of it looks like it's, you know, big, nice dunes, and I'd like to continue that. I personally have questions about some of the other ways that they're proposing to protect areas. But yeah. I, fortunately, I'm only responsible right now for about three and a half miles. Of that's beach. right. Uh, that's right. And and have it under control with a good system that operates and uh, has been really successful for the last decade and real real you know pat on the back to the city leaders down there to gotten a handle on it this program on the american shoreline podcast network is brought to you by dune doctors a coastal restoration dune restoration company out of pensacola florida led by frederick barisette great professionals dune doctors reach them at dune doctors.com that the interesting thing to me uh, to go one step further down the lines of what the island is going to face as it continues to develop northward is this uh, people don't realize that that part of the Texas coast is a semi-arid region we have these 25 30 foot high dunes down there that in many areas are devoid of vegetation. Uh, some of that might be vehicle oriented, but a lot of it is the natural condition of this, uh, this environment that is very dry with uh, strong, steady winds. I mean, one of the attributes of South Padre Island is its persistent wind makes it a great kiteboarding place. There's all kinds of great things you can do with that, but it also moves the sand out of the dune system and onto Park Road 100 and further landward, uh, retaining sand in that dune system in the future is going to be an interesting challenge. Uh, obviously, dune vegetation helps, but it's hard to get it to grow in some of that area up there. Yes, it is. And, you know, I, I, I'm always amazed because uh, Brandon Hill, our shoreline director, uh, continues to educate me, you know, Again, business background. Yeah, uh, haven't haven't been here for that long, but some of these dunes and the way that the structure builds and the plantings that we do. I mean, those dunes just didn't just show up one day. No, there was plantings, and then you talk about the root system and the the uh, the the roots from the various plants tying together to make yeah. sure that they are much stronger and sturdier and that they, you know, you don't get as much blowing sand, you know, the yeah. sand that does come up is accretive to the dune. Uh, it's there. It's I've learned an awful lot about it. It's much more than I ever thought I would. You know, it is, it's one of the amazing things about the American shoreline and being in the position as a local elected official to manage these things is, the learning curve is, and this is what I say about Coastal News today, what we're trying to do is, is help that process and get into the depth of these issues. And uh, is a lot of communities uh, that we've been in on the, on the American shoreline, you'll have folks from inland, somebody from Indiana moves down and successful person, good manager, good decision maker, gets involved in local politics. And then hits this learning curve and somebody who's never thought of the words 
longshore sediment transport are suddenly thinking, what the heck is longshore sediment transport and why does that matter? And why is the sand just staying here and can't we build a wall? There's, a, there's an enormous, <laughs> <laughs> there's an enormous, uh, you know, curve of, of trying to figure this out. And uh, South Padre is one of the communities that has really done a bang up job uh, with some real strong local leadership. It's, you know, I'll, I'll say, I think it's one of the best managed beach towns in Texas. Thank you. Uh, but there is a learning curve to it. I have to tell a funny aside on our city manager. She's not going to appreciate this, but <laughs> uh, her name is Susan Guthrie, and she came to us from Tyler, Texas. Right. And she came down here, and within the first, I don't know, few hours, she kept hearing about the GLO, the GLO, and the GLO. And, and the city officials actually have a book acronyms, you know, like in, I think there's 350 different government acronyms. They call uh, different things, but she kept hearing the GLO. She's been involved in Texas government for years and years and years. And she turned to our assistant city manager and she said, Darla, what, what's the GLO? <laughs> Darla explained to her, oh, it's the general land office. You're going to hear an awful lot about that. But I right. mean, and that's yeah, a very, very yeah. successful uh, city manager. You know, who comes down here and he just, you do not realize yeah. the, all of the, you know, stuff. And, and she's done a spectacular job. She's super solid. Informing herself, um, you know. She's very and smart. She's she's done some wonderful projects. Yeah. But that just, that, your, your point about someone from Indiana, we had somebody come down here as our city manager from another part of Texas and didn't have to deal with any of that in, yeah. you know, in, in Tyler, Texas. Well, it's one of the challenges and one, one of the reasons we're trying to use this, uh, the local control podcast or the intent is to, is to talk with local elected officials all around the American shoreline about the challenges of beach towns. And what I, what I've noticed is local elected officials who are facing these, uh, complex problems of shoreline management, uh, it's a foreign world. Uh, the engineering of it is foreign. Who? What is this geology thing? And what is the sediment transport? And are the, the professional service providers are are very different. In in an inland community, elected officials are quite comfortable with engineers who are designing buildings and roads and a park. There's an intuitive understanding of all of that. You can sit down and talk to these engineers and go, "Gee whiz, what's the you know." orientation of the road and why is it this way and it's just within your purview as a person um, and then you sit down with these coastal engineers and they start talking about hydrodynamic models and tidal prisms and the sand cycle and the erosion rates and how storm i mean all of it is very it's something that has to be absorbed over time because it's it almost none of it is intuitive unless you happen to you know, spend your professional life in it. It's a very specialized universe of knowledge. And uh, that's just my own, that's my own take on it. And it's a, it makes it part of the challenge is, you know, getting people to a certain shared understanding of what the heck is going on with these moving islands that we're all living on top of. Well, I, I could not agree with you more. And we're very blessed on the island to have something we call SLTF, or our shoreline task. Yeah. That's been involved in managing this. And, you know, serving on a city committee is unpaid. Uh, as an elected official, I do get a dollar a year. But <laughs> these people are unpaid. Wow. Many of them have served on that on that shoreline task force, which was previously named Beach and Dunes, but you know we have a, a the Laguna Madre side and the Gulf of Mexico side, and there's just this wealth of knowledge built up over the years, and it was it was great for me to be able to attend the uh, uh, ASBPA meeting in Galveston mm -hmm. uh, last month with uh, three members of that task force yeah. uh actually four i think and you know just they they go to different seminars different presentations they learn an awful lot i learned an awful lot as a as an elected official and i i also enjoyed being in galveston and meeting with people there and sometimes you think that 
oh my goodness, we have all these issues and all these problems and everything else. And you go a, yeah. a few hundred miles up to Texas coastline yep. and you realize that same discussion. It, it sure is. Sometimes the population's bigger. Yep. Uh, they're bigger cities. As I like to say, more zeros on the population or on the landmass side, but it's the same. It know, is the same problem. And you know the politics are different. That's why every community is is distinctive in how it approaches the problems. There's a lot of common. Certainly, the issues are common. From you know, if I went to Tybee Island, Georgia, and, and I haven't talked to the mayor there. You know, it's we we would be talking the same language of this conversation, and uh, you know he's got a different set of community interests and a different uh, sense of what the development future should be for the island. But he's also dealing with beach nourishment. He's also trying to figure out how to pay for it locally. He's trying to keep his taxes down, but he's trying to take seriously the long-term future of his community. Uh, That's true um, in Topsail Beach or any of the towns. And that's, it's, uh, but the uniqueness is really important to to get. There's not one size fits all answers to these problems. They're handcrafted by the local elected officials out there, and uh, it's great to see successful communities tackle it um, because it's intimidating. I think that's one of one of the barriers to to tackling these bar- these pro- these uh, really significant and expensive shoreline issues is there's a sense of futility at some level. Like, can we honestly maintain the position of this sand pile that we're on? <laughs> Cause we're, we're committed to do it. And we just, it's just like, that's a, that's a big ocean right there. We're not, we're not on the, you know, we're not on a lake here. We're on the <laughs> damn Gulf of Mexico yeah. and it's, a, it's quiet yeah. most of the time, but occasionally it gets a little rowdy and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. scares the hell out of everybody. Um, you know, Peter, you said something earlier about uh, making decisions locally, and I, they, there's a saying somewhere about you know things rolling downhill. Mm-hmm. We think as a local municipalities, we make we're best informed about our community. For sure. So when something comes down from Austin to us, sometimes we are going to disagree with it. Uh, may battle it or may try to craft whatever is going on a different way. And, you know, so we are firm believers in local control and maintaining that. And that's why when we're facing a legislative session going on and we're dealing with our general land office uh, and things that happen, we like this idea of local control. Yeah. Now, in the state, sometimes people say, no, we want to make these decisions because we know the, you know, the big picture and we know what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. But the state then chafes at the federal government because the federal government Same many reason. Times gets involved and it's just kind of that whole downhill flow. Yeah. everything that happened. Well, that's the second, that's one of the other thematic challenges of coastal community management is the relationship between the federal, the state, and the local communities. And that uh, tension is inherent and unavoidable because, in my opinion, so much of the revenues that are necessary are being derived uh, from the federal level, the GOMESA program, the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act, uh, which is pumping this year $40 million into the general land office budget for Gulf-related uh, programs and projects. Uh, and then you've got NIFWF and the whole restore bucket. All of that is sort of federally derived, manages the state level, and somehow ends up down at the local level. So... It's just a necessity that the levels of government function together. Uh, I'm a fan of local control. I think uh, I was asking Eddie Fisher about this. He used to run the coastal erosion program at the state level about whether it was too centralized in Texas. Uh, I can tell you it's very different in Florida or in North Carolina where the local communities are hiring the engineers, doing the planning with state and federal money involved, but are the spear point uh, on how these beaches are managed. Texas, that is, 
that's in Austin. You know, they they control the projects and control the and, and Eddie thinks that's the right way. I mean, he he told me he said, no, I think the land office is the right center for that state level. Austin, Texas, kind of managing directly. Uh, but he also emphasized the relationship that he you have to have between the folks in Austin or whatever capital, whether it's Raleigh or Tallahassee or Sacramento. I mean, all of the coastal states have to do with this. Uh, that relationship to the local level is essential if you're going to have centralized planning. Right. Um, yeah. Well, before we wrap up, one last topic. The favorite topic of every local elected official on the American shoreline. How do you balance the interest of private property owners and the public when it comes to accessing the beach? <laughs> What's the trick to make that work? Very carefully. <laughs> Listen well. And, um, you know, Texas has prescribed if you're not going to allow vehicular traffic on the beach, which in the city of South Padre Island, we do not. You have to have uh, parking available and, you know, access uh, for all the citizens. We work hard at that. Uh, Brandon has led a, a study uh, of, and we've really increased what we call Gulf Boulevard, enhanced it, enhanced parking, we've geolocated every single parking spot um, available right. uh, throughout the city. And, you know, now we're facing something that will be coming up shortly, the idea of paid parking. Do we want to do that? Do yep. we not want to do that? Yep. Uh, what's the, you know, what's the benefits? And yep. you know, I, I studied it pretty extensively while I was in Galveston. Good. Because that's a community that does do paid parking. Yep. Our county charges $10 for a car to come in to any county park. And yep. within the city, we do not charge uh, anything for parking uh, at this point. And there's people that say we should not charge. Yes. And others that say maybe we should and maybe the money that we get from that, uh, we, you know, we build up other amenities like our restrooms or other facilities. Yeah. So um, careful, careful, methodical. uh, And you have to learn. I'm learning to learn, try to be as good a listener as I as I possibly can be to try to see all sides of that. It's, you know, that's another issue that is universal in barrier island communities around the country or shoreline communities around the country with a thousand different answers that are tailored to, you know, the history and the culture and the economics of the town. Uh, New Jersey is beach badges. You know, it's the history is you buy a beach badge, maybe it's $50 a year. They fund their shoreline management programs through these beach bags, partly through uh, the sale of beach badges. Uh, Paid access is not a traditional Texas uh, device, and it's controversial everywhere that it's been put in place. (laughs) A lot of people squawk when they, what do you mean I have to pay to go to my beach? I'm a, you know, we own that, you know, that kind of thing. It's very difficult. But from a financial management standpoint, Mary, you've got, you've got overnight people who contribute to the local economy and to the local tax revenues necessary to manage the beach through the hotel occupancy tax in Texas. Over in Florida, it's an accommodation tax or an occupancy tax. There's all kinds of names for these things, but basically it's the short-term rental hotel rooms or Airbnb universe of, of revenue that is essential as a cornerstone of shoreline management at the local level all around the country. Uh, but the day trippers who don't rent, who come to the island and, and don't rent a place or don't t- get a hotel room, uh, I don't want to say it's a free rider problem, but obviously they're not paying for access to the shoreline. And there isn't, obviously there are sales tax revenues and alcohol and beverage taxes. There are, you know, just the economic activity is boosting the city's revenues. But uh Trying to figure out how to finance finance your programs, pick up the trash every day, keep the beach clean, pay for the lifeguards, p- 
put sand on the beach, plant dunes, all, you know, that's just on the ocean side of your island. That's a big mm-hmm. challenge financially. I mean, as a business guy, when you're looking at, if we can call your constituents, your customers, um, what it, what are your thoughts on how to, to finance all this stuff you have to do? It's, there's, there, it, it's difficult, especially whenever, okay, if everything is okay right now, but eventually if you have to add, and we're going to have to continue to add the infrastructure, you've got to figure out a plan in order ways to finance that and to burden the citizens you know, who choose to live here with higher taxes is probably not my very first solution. Right. You know, the citizens are going to say, wait a minute, you know, I live here, I pay city taxes, I should be able to get on free or at a, a, a reduced rate. Yeah. And then charge, you know, other people of course. for the use of our beach. I mean, you know, they come and they, you know, they leave a beer can on the beach or whatever they do. We're having to pay for all that. Um, I understand that. But then I also have people in the hospitality business here who may say, hey, they may not be buying as much, but they come to my restaurant. You bet. And they eat, and I depend upon them, and I don't want you trying to uh, run them off or discourage them from being here. So I guess the one thing that we do have is is that on part of our island, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, on on part of our island, we, which is the county's part, they are paying $10 per car. Uh, and then within the city limits right now, they're not. So, you know, when you, when you look at that, yeah, you kind of say, Hey, wait yeah. a minute, you know, yeah. uh, perhaps we should take a stronger look at this. Indeed. I, I think it's a fair question to ask is it's a complicated one, but just looking at when you're talking about having a pedestrian beach, which is when you've got dense development or a highly used beach and kids running up and down the beach and kicking a soccer ball, it is absolutely nonsensical that people would be driving through the middle of it. I mean, if you just get get away from the beach and think about what other park can you think of where somebody would be playing frisbee and kids kicking a soccer ball where the cars would be driving through the middle of the park you know the insanity of that as an inland idea would be immediately obvious and nobody would do it but you get to the water's edge and you get this mix and it's a huge safety issue but the result of making the decision you guys have made to have a pedestrian beach throughout the city means that you have to have this parking every half mile and you know these are where the state regs come in i think it's great policy but you have got to acquire land for parking and boy buying a beachfront lot to put a parking lot on is a million dollar exercise and you know how do you provide for the public when you've got that kind of you know responsibility as a community it's it's not easy to figure out no completely agree with you (laughs) that's why i said you know you have to you have to listen very well to all the you know the various uh constituents that you have and eventually our shoreline task force will make a recommendation to our city council i'm one of six members of that city council yeah and ultimately it'll you know it'll be something that that we end up making a decision on well it'll be something you know as i know it will it, we try to cover beach access issues around the country it is a very hot topic over in florida right now it was a major issue in the governor's race they've they've struck a balance between well they passed a law that that prioritized uh private property rights on the shoreline uh you know over there if you're not standing on the wet beach they call the sheriff if you're up on the dry beach in florida and somebody's property line goes underneath it they will arrest you and uh that balance, yeah, that balance resulted in a governor's executive order and a big old fight. And uh, let's just say it's going to be a big fight in the Florida legislature coming up this year. It's a tough problem. And uh, as y'all work through that and make the decisions that you make, uh, you know, we, we can talk about it again uh, because crafting the solutions is 
it's important for all of the communities around the country to see how these things are resolved. And uh, you guys, I think Texas does a pretty good job here uh, balancing these interests. It's, but boy, it's never without tension. <laughs> yeah, and you know it, politics you're going to get yelled at no matter what you do and it's part you know people say well if I'm getting yelled at by everybody I must be doing something right I I don't know <laughs> well, well Mayor I, I really appreciate you taking the time I've, um, but do you have any closing thoughts on do you plan to do you plan to, to stay in the in the local elected office or uh, do you have a vision down the line where, where are you going from here in the city of South Padre Texas. Oh, the most important person in my life is the lady that got me involved in all this. And um, it's been uh, eye-opening for both of us. Um, and I still have basically two years left on my term. And um, I, I don't know. I'm getting to it. You know, I, I tell people Six years ago, plus, we plan to retire and move here and uh, enjoy life. Yeah. And right now, you're working you know, hard. I, I think I put in about 2,100 hours last year Is being mayor. For a dollar. Uh, it's, that, a, it's a great yeah. deal. You got a buck for that? <laughs> She's thinking, what did I, I could have gotten him a job, you know, I don't know. But there's a lot yeah. of other things she could have done to got you out of the house and stick you in the middle of a bear ride and mayor job, which is <laughs> one of the most complicated and politically uh, charged environments you can ever hold office. I think <laughs> you, know, like, you get home at the end of the day, a little tired to have, you know, have, you know, go out and have a nice dinner. Like, you know what? I'm kind of done today. We've been trying to figure out beach yeah. access all day. It's going to be not easy. <laughs> and that that's whenever you hope that a constituent hasn't had a few cocktails at a, at a, in the room and comes over and says, I mean, I need to talk to you about this issue or that issue. Right. Are you pulls really? up a chair. Yeah. And that's when my wife kind of rolls her eyes at me. <laughs> like, well, what did I get you into? Right. You can always say it was your idea. I mean, it, we, she can't give you too hard a time. We're like, you got me into this. But that's, uh, yeah, you're going to put a new public access way next to my condominium? Are you really? Are you kidding? We're going to sue you for that. So, you know, yeah. enjoy your dinner. I'll see you in court. That kind of thing. It's no fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's a challenging job, and uh, and I, you know, I, I, I'm appreciative of all the people who jump into the middle of these frays and try to work this stuff out and put together the staff that you guys have. That's uh, real professionals who really are knowledgeable and tackle it. And you know, thanks for doing the work that you guys do. And uh, you know, maybe we can when you get when you get something that you really like uh, on access, we should we should talk again. Okay, I'll look forward to it, Peter. <laughs> well, everybody, Mayor Dennis Stahl from the city of South Padre Island, Texas, one of the great barrier island cities in America, and certainly I think the number one in Texas. Sorry, Ruben Trevino and all you folks up there in Galveston and Port Aransas. I really <laughs> something special about that deep South Texas beach. And uh, uh, thank you for the time, Mayor, and uh, appreciate all that you do down there in the city of South Padre Island. 